2: From MPB Think Radio, this is Money Talks. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lodger anderson President of New Perspectives, and Ryder Taft, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. They're both chartered financial analysts. Ryder holds the Certificate in Investment Performance Measurement from the CFA Institute. We often have theme shows on Money Talks. We've talked about budgets, credit cards, new baby costs, cutting expenses. But sometimes, like today, we have an open topic show. You can ask us anything. Today we'll talk about vacation homes, bonds, CDs, and anything else you'd like to ask our experts. Contact us by email. The address is money at mpbonline.org. So good morning. Let's uh, start with Ryder this morning with financial news in the news.
3: Good morning, Kevin. So one of the interesting things we've been talking about uh, here and there has been the inverted yield curve. And so, again, the yield curve is just when you look at all of the Treasury bonds that the U.S. Treasury issues, they have short-term ones in the kind of very short term that are maturing tomorrow or next week uh, to a year, two years or so. You have intermediate term, so kind of three, four, five, six, seven years. You have longer term, 10, 20, 30-year ones. So that's the yield curve. They're all priced differently. They all have different yields. And so if you plot that out, it looks like a curve. Generally, you would expect for a short-term loan to the government, you would expect a small interest rate because it's short-term. You kind of know – while you don't know what's going to happen in 30 years, you have a better idea what's going to happen over the next week or so. So you're comfortable lending on a short-term lately the short term the shorter term kind of the two-year range one that one they look at a lot is comparing the two-year yield to the 10-year yield and the two-year has been higher than the 10-year for a little while now it's at about 3.3 percent kevin compare that to your bank account uh and the 10-year is at about three percent so it's that's a little weird it's it's unexpected now there's a lot of reasons that people uh invest in different areas of the yield curve. So we often say, oh, that might be a sign of uh, of a recession because it means that short-term rates are high and it's getting harder to borrow money, and yet long-term expectations of growth are low. But always keep in mind, there's just diff- so many different players in this market, and there's so many different reasons people are buying these treasuries. And some of it can be we have a very strong dollar. There's a lot of people, there's a lot of demand for dollar and dollar based investments. And for a lot of folks, that does mean treasuries and sometimes those longer term ones. So uh, there could be a lot of foreign buyers of that causing the dollar to rise and also keeping those lower those longer ones uh, down. We we just don't know because Nancy and I have talked a lot about this, the broader economic data. People are people are still highly employed. People are still getting jobs. It's a, it's a tight labor market. Uh, people are still shopping. Inflation is high, but we did have a very, well, a flat reading uh, for the month of July. So it's not it's not into the world stuff. Um, it's just one of those things we look at, and it is looking weird.
2: By the way, Ryder and I have a running joke. Uh, several weeks ago, maybe a month or so ago, I had mentioned uh, something about my online savings account, and I think at that time the interest
3: rate was something like that. Oh,
1: Kevin, you can do better. Well, oh, but listen, Nancy, it
3: gets better. Uh He He gives me an update every
2: week. Ryder said something on the air about that not being very good, and it wasn't. But it's gone up ever since then, and it's now at one point six five percent. So
1: I'm impressed. Something uh,
2: Ryder has done uh, has, has sparked the uh, my savings account to go
3: through the roof. The so. more I ridicule his <laughs> savings account, the higher it goes, and and it's my but, job. Yes. This is the this is the most value I can provide right now.
1: Well, and the important thing is to pay attention. So many times when I ask people. Uh, whether it's checking, savings, whatever, even credit cards, what are you paying or what are you earning? And they have no clue. They don't even pay attention to that.
2: Well, I, I I vote guilty on that one. I uh, recently um, I forget why. If I finally dawned on me, it's like you know the V8 you know clunk to the head thing there. Uh, but I went back and looked at uh, the the interest rates on my credit cards, and so now that helps me better decide when I have to use a credit card, which one I should use, and that's the obvious answer. To that yeah, is the one perfect. with the lower uh, interest rate. So uh, what's uh, what's interesting you in financial news this week, Nancy?
1: Well, I want to go back a little bit to what uh, Ryder addressed, this inverted yield curve, and to say to people, even though we start hearing, oh, my goodness, it's recession time, That often we see an inversion in the yield curve before we have a recession, but it doesn't necessarily mean we're going to have a recession. We have inversions where we don't go into recession. And certainly the last several weeks, we've had really nice gains in the stock market. Everybody's been happy. But as we heard in the news at top of the hour uh, yesterday, we took a big step back. But this is a big week and it's a big week because all eyes are on Jackson Hole, Wyoming. And uh, the Kansas City Federal Reserve Bank puts on an economic policy summit every year But the last few years, it has not been in person. So we're really watching now that they're all gathering in person in Jackson Hole. And what's really important on Friday we will hear the Fed Chair Jerome Powell will speak. And so we're going to get some information about what the Federal Reserve is thinking as far as interest rates. Along with that, on Friday, we're going to get more inflation readings. So that has investors a bit nervous right now, not sure what's going to happen. Remember, uncertainty always is going to be a wet blanket when it comes to the stock market.
2: This is Money Talks. It's an open topic show today. We're going to dig into our mailbag and uh, also we'll take your questions by phone and email. So whatever you have on your mind this morning, you can email the show by sending it to money at mpbonline.org. I'd like to throw in a question here. And Nancy, I don't remember if I asked you this in person or on the show, but on the internet, I've seen several things about, oh, you better use your, your HELOC before it's too late. And I'm assuming they're referring to maybe interest rates going up, but is HELOC not still somewhat of a low interest rate option for homeowners?
1: Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm still seeing some really good, good rates on HELOCs now. That depends on your credit score. Um, but most HELOCs, not all of them, most of them have variable rates. That means those rates are reset, and if we are expecting rates to go higher, you can expect the rate on that HELOT to also go higher. So if you've got it floating out there thinking you're just taking advantage of these low rates, again, back to pay attention to what you're paying for that. If it starts to go too high, you need to look at paying it down or getting rid of it altogether.
2: And I, I have one that I've not used anything with, and I'm, I'm thinking I might need some uh, home work done on my house, and so I've got to go back to the bank and just – I'm going to call up and just say, hey, I've got this. I need to re- be re- uh, refreshed about the uh, the rates and, and how it exactly works. So, But I guess it's, like I said, to me, it still, does still seem like a lower interest rate uh, option for, for borrowing money.
1: Well, at this time. But, again, just watch that. Watch as the rates will go up and uh, be careful about not letting it balloon too much and taking advantage of it if they start to get really high.
2: You know, often one question by a listener will trigger another one. This happened quite a few times in our show last week. We had one listener curious about short-term CDs. That caused another listener to email this week with this question. Are short-term CDs possibly a good way to protect money until the market improves? Maybe some thoughts from both of you. Nancy, why don't you take a stab at that?
1: Boy, gosh, I think Ryder and I both need to jump in on this because (laughs) this opens the door to all kinds of issues. Mm. The first is, are you trying to time the market? And you really need to come back to matching the maturities of your investments or the risk of your investments with your objectives. So short-term CDs can be good if you need money in a short period of time and you need to be able to access that money. But if you're just using it to then park some money with your long-term funds because you're concerned about the market, maybe you need to look at whether you need to be in the market in the first place. Uh, but really, look at how to match those objectives to those uh, maturities and risk on your securities. And so, yeah, you know, we're starting to see better rates on the short-term CDs. But you know, you're going to lose out if you're just over there parking your money.
3: Um, I could not have said it better than Nancy said it. You've got to match match your needs with match your investments with what your actual needs are. Um, I would just kind of. Say that short, short-term rates are good on CDs right now. Uh, not necessarily in banks. We've talked about that. It's not necessarily walking up to your brick-and-mortar in-person bank. We've seen them a lot on brokered CDs where banks are issuing CDs. They're just doing it's it's kind of cheaper and easier for them to do this to to raise the money because they're not getting the traction at their local bank. So they're getting decent rates. I talked about the the Treasuries two-year Treasury yielding over three percent, a three point three three percent. You can get similar. rates Rates uh, on FDIC insured brokered CDs. Um, short-term CDs are just not a good way to, not a good place to keep your market money though. The the market is where you keep that. Uh, like Nancy said, if you are so concerned about the market, you have to pull your money out. Then. We, you really might need to reevaluate whether you should have been in the market in the first place and and of course you want to match your investments with your needs and so if this is long term money and you should keep it in the market but your Personal risk tolerance always does play a role because we always say we can make the best plan. We can match everything up perfectly for you. We can make the best portfolio for you. But if it's not something that you're going to be comfortable with when the market gets weird or when the market goes down 10%, the market's down about 10% right now for the year, a little more than that, uh, then if you're not going to stick with it when the market is down like that. Then it's not the plan for you. It needs to be. It needs to be fit both to your 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 actual dollar future future dollar spending needs, and your uh, current feelings about everything.
2: This is Money Talks, and every Tuesday at 9, we welcome any kind of personal finance question, but I think a lot of times when we have a topic in mind, some folks may be a little bit reluctant to go off topic, as it were, so that's why it's an open topic week this week. We don't have any uh, pre-designed uh, things that we want to talk about. We're looking for you to drive the show this morning with your questions. If you have a question for our experts, you can also send an email to money at mpbonline.org. It's an open topic show today covering various aspects of personal finance. So how affordable is it to live and be a student in Jackson? We've got that information for you next. You're listening to Money Talks. Our website, moneytalks.mpbonline.org, is one way to hear past Money Talks broadcasts. You can also download the MPB Public Media app and listen on your iPhone or Android phone to all the local MPB Think Radio programs on demand. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotter anderson President of New Perspectives and Ryder Taft Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. According to a study by Porch.com, Jackson is the eighth-best mid-sized college town for student renters, according to a weighted average for off-campus room and board costs. Uh, we are digging into the mailbag today to answer some listener questions that we got through the email. Uh, last week, we had an email asking us what receipts needed to be kept when you owned a vacation home. That inspired another listener to ask, how should I pull money from retirement, individual retirement accounts, or thrift savings plans accounts to buy a beach home, limited pull over years to pay cash or borrow the balance. Ryder, what are your thoughts on that?
3: Yeah, so generally not a huge fan of pulling large amounts from retirement accounts to pay for a beach home. Uh, or pay for a home in general. With buying a home, there's, there's good financing available. There are mortgages that you have 30 years to pay back. Of course, people do need to pull money together for a down payment. So I understand you do have to pull cash and stuff for that. But you have to consider the cost of pulling money out of your retirement account, your savings plan, your 401k, what have you. That especially if it's a large amount, especially if you're still working, could push you into a much higher tax bracket and you might end up paying the 30-35% tax on something that you could have got funding at, well, up until recently at 3-4%, to 4%, maybe 5-6% to 6% right now, uh, which would amortize and would decrease that cost would decrease over time. So generally not a huge fan of that. You just, you just have to look at your whole financial situation and think where is the best place to pull money from, and the best place is not your IRA. Uh, so lots of considerations there. Of course, if you are older and you are looking at your minimum withdrawals anyway, it may make sense to if you know fill up to the next tax bracket without without going too overboard, make larger withdrawals than you may have anyway, just so you can get that either save up for that down payment and get that down payment or pay it off a little more aggressively if that's if that's truly one of your goals to pay that off a little faster so those are the those are the kind of first considerations i would make when thinking about that but i would pull money from uh, cash savings or taxable investment accounts first i would actually look for outside financing uh, as your first uh, port of call there
1: and and know that if you're looking at buying a beach house, you should be preparing for that. And uh, so many people, they do the right thing, they sock that money Mm -hmm. into their retirement accounts. But if all you have is in retirement, which is tax deferred, you put yourself in a really tight box tax wise. And so it's important that you also have a nice amount of cash. uh, And by cash, we say, you know, park it and short-term CDs or a good money market account or a good savings account. So that you can tap into that without having to think about the taxes
3: and this is a good illustration Nancy of what you said earlier where you want to align your actual investments with what your goals are so say you want to buy a Mm -hmm. beach house in 40 years put that in stocks don't put that in cash right now but say you have a beach you're thinking okay I'm retiring in the next few years we're gonna start looking for that vacation home or that retirement home and you want to start accumulating money then or before uh, in shorter term investments, CDs, uh, money market, like you mentioned. But not only that, you want to be accumulating the money in the right place. So don't just say, Oh, great, well, I'll put half my 401k in bonds and stable value fund, so that I can buy my beach house. No, no, you want that outside of the 401k. And if that involves maybe taking some withdrawals out of the 401 say, you're not working, and you have particularly low income, again, you can and start pulling money out of those accounts ahead of time so that you don't have to do it all at once and, and just bump yourself, again, unnecessarily into a high tax bracket for this one thing, because the, the, the cost of taking money out of an IRA, out of a deferred uh, source is, is, is high.
1: Now, the ex- exception to that would be uh, there are a lot of um, employer plans that now allow for a Roth option. So a lot of people we talk to will encourage them to split that contribution in such a way they can save themselves some taxes, mm-hmm. but also save in a tax-free account. Mm-hmm. Now, you still are giving up something even when you tap into that Roth account, even though you're not going to have a big tax bill, but you're giving up on that future tax-free
3: growth. Ah, so oh, the future growth. Yeah. you got to talk to your future self about that decision. Uh. <laughs> We're
1: always talking about that. But your best option is is to have that cash somewhere parked ready.
2: Last week, we got into a discussion concerning taxes on investments, and that led a listener to email us with this question. Is interest from I-bonds taxed? Nancy, we've mentioned I-bonds before, but if you would remind us about them and how and if they're taxed.
1: Well, I stands for inflation, and I-bonds are issued by the U.S. Treasury, There is another type of security issued by the U.S. Treasury, and it's called TIPS, so Treasury Inflation Protection Securities. Both of these are ways that you can purchase into something that gives you some inflation hedges and also has the guarantee of the U.S. government backing there behind it. Um, I-bonds are a little bit different from TIPS. Because the i bond um, pays a fixed rate of interest and an additional rate based on inflation. So right now we have a lot of inflation. So the rate now is nine point six two. That's a lot better than your one point six five Kevin. But there is a big limit to it. There are big ifs on this thing. and one of the big ifs is you can only do up to ten thousand dollars per person or per Social Security number. And so that limits how much you can park in those. You have to go through Treasury Direct, deal with them directly. Um, They're going to then pay that interest for 30 years. If you try to get your money before five years is up, there is a penalty. So there's a little bit of a long-term thing in there. And um, tips are a little bit different in that instead of extra interest being paid on top of a fixed rate, the actual principal is adjusted along the way. Now, taxes, for both TIPS and I-bonds, you will pay federal income tax on the interest that you earn. You won't pay state or local income tax, so a little bit of a break there. Mm-hmm. Um, with um, I-bonds, you can defer the declaration of that interest until you actually um, redeem that bond and when it matures So, you know, a long way down the road, and maybe you're retired, you're at a lower income bracket, and so it makes more sense to wait until that time. So you have some options there, but it is taxable interest.
3: So, Nancy, you're saying the federal government is going to pay that interest, but then they're going to charge you the tax right back on it. Yeah. What a a good deal for them, right? Yeah. Money Talks
2: is MPB Think Radio's personal finance broadcast. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lodridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives, and Ryder Taft, portfolio manager at New Perspectives. They're both chartered financial analysts. Ryder holds the Certificate in Investment Performance Measurement from the CFA Institute. An investment advisor may like to follow Warren Buffett. He said he likes his favorite
3: holding period for an S&P 500 stock is forever. forever. But most, most of us won't live quite that long and we might need our money before then so again do try to align your investments with your time horizon and it may yeah, not and, be forever right
1: and i'm i'm always cautioning people about that just totally park it and don't think about it because when i was coming up you know sears was a big brand a huge part of our economy now they're basically gone mm-hmm. So it, at least take a look at it once a year and make sure that that's still a company you want to hang on to.
2: We've got a number of phone calls to get to, so let's start things off first by going to Pascagoula. Richard has called in today. Good morning, Richard. You're on the air with us.
4: Good morning. Uh, the question I have is, is I've got a, a savings bond, government savings bond, that uh, matures on the uh, in November. And I'm just wondering... Uh, what might be a good way to invest? it? And, and I'm, I'm I'm not going to go on inner, uh, in on the uh, thing. I just want because I'm
3: 88 years old. Well, well, um, my first question would be with any investment: is what is the goal of this money? What do you want this money to do for you in the future?
4: Well, I I mean I, I just want to save it because I, I I don't I don't need it. I don't want on spending it. In it. But, well, see, I'm 88 years old, so I I don't think it's a good idea to put it in any any long thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, Now, if if I should uh, pass away, uh, can can they keep it in that, or or does it have to be cashed out?
1: Richard, is that a series EE bond? Right. Okay. So um, the complication is if something happens to you while it's still in that bond or you reinvest in some more bonds, it's a little harder for your heirs to get that money out. So with you being 88, with our short-term savings rates going up, and Ryder mentioned some of the short-term CDs now paying uh, 3% or more, you're probably better off when it hits maturity and with those bonds, it's only going to pay interest up through 30 years and then it pays nothing extra beyond that. So go ahead and allow that to mature and put that in something that's a little bit more liquid and in something that you can put your beneficiaries' names on it. So if something happens to you, it's a whole lot easier for them to get to that money.
4: Okay. That sounds good. Now, one other question. I okay. have uh, qu- quite a few uh uh, a savings bonds E series, and uh, they in my wife and my name. And of course, we're both in our eighties. Yes.
1: So, and,
4: and we don't need the money, but I'm just wondering if, 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 if what what should I do? I have to change? Should I?
1: Yeah. Uh, go- um, your complication here again. Um, it's a lot harder to deal with savings bonds when they're inherited versus inherited a, a, um, an investment account or a bank account. And especially if you have bonds with both your names on it, so chances are something happens to one of you. Now when those mature, you're going to have to show some record, uh, a will. You're going to have to show death certificates, all of those things to get them changed over. So you just might want to go back and look at when they mature, what rate they are paying at this point, and then maybe you're going to make a decision not necessarily based on the rate, but based on what's the easiest thing for you to do so that this money can be passed on.
4: Okay, because CDs don't expire until 33 Right, And you said savings
1: bonds, not CDs, right?
4: Right, the savings bonds.
1: Mm-hmm. Savings bonds. So CDs are a lot easier to deal with versus savings bonds.
2: Okay. All right, uh, Richard. Uh, thanks for the call this morning. Let's go on next to Gulfport. Scott has called in today. Scott, you're on the air with us. It's your turn. Go ahead.
4: Yeah, I was just uh, wondering what uh, general advice
0: you'd have for somebody going through
2: going through a divorce. Is that what you said?
4: <laughs>
0: yeah.
3: Financially speaking, Ryder. Any advice on divorce? Uh, be honest about your finances and don't try to hide or steal anything. Nancy?
1: Well, um, I think if you're facing a divorce, uh, as Ryder said, you've got to put all your cards on the table, and um, and there has to be a settlement. The biggest thing I usually caution people who are married when they inherit assets, I caution them about putting um, their spouse's name on them on inherited assets, because you never know if there is a divorce, then that becomes part of the marital settlement. Um So really just looking at what the issues would be as far as income needs, income, uh, the earnings for each person. If there are children involved, certainly you're going to have to look at Mm -hmm. how to support those children along the way. Um, But then the bigger thing is just you're going to have to untangle everything. Mm -hmm. And I think we run into lots of issues with people who are in the midst of a divorce. It's not settled yet. And so everybody is very distrustful of each other and so they're watching those accounts and and it becomes an issue because if it's a joint account then one person can do whatever they want to with that money they can clean that account totally out and the other person has no right to stop it at that point so it's in that middle ground where you haven't settled yet and you know you're waiting to see what's going to happen you may want to go ahead and start to kind of separate your finances if you aren't uh, doing that already.
3: And one other thing that I would think about when you're specifically thinking about dividing assets, and this is uh, a mistake I've seen in various places. I've, I've never, I don't know that there's a way to do it perfectly, but don't be careful dividing assets and don't just stick yourself with one thing. Don't just say, I want to end up with the house with no mortgage come what a may. And and then you end up with the house with no mortgage, but zero dollars. And you don't have a dollar to pay the next bill that comes in. Um, don't say, oh, I just, you know, my 401k is my biggest asset. And if I can make it out with that, I'll be okay. But again, you don't have anything that is not tax deferred. And you've just sa- saddled yourself with, a large tax liability should you need to start withdrawing money. So be aware of the tax registration. An IRA is not the same for this. A dollar in an IRA is worth less than a dollar in a Roth IRA. So, bear that in mind when you're dividing it up. What is the tax registration of that account? And also, what am I actually going to have? Again, going back to, I need money to address my needs. Do you have money, just just cash, money available to address the next bill that comes in to address buying groceries, to address next year's tuition for your your kids, et cetera. So make sure you have a diverse array of financial assets out of it and and you don't just say well i want this specific asset that hey look maybe that's the asset that does grow the most maybe that asset maybe it does work out but you're you're also taking on a lot more risk if you're just taking a single asset there scott any follow-up questions uh
0: there's a couple of houses involved uh How should we handle
3: those? One of them we haven't lived in
2: quite a year. Any specific tips on housing? I mean,
3: mean, if there's a couple of houses, then it sounds like y'all can all kind of get one. I'm not really sure. Well,
1: you have to consider what equity is there and um, how do you get equal equity Mm -hmm. in those houses. And as Ryder mentioned, are you saddling yourself with a bunch of debt? Mm -hmm by owning one of those versus taking maybe the lesser house and cash up front.
3: Yeah. And, and for instance, if you have two houses, which may seem to be equal value, but you know one's in a better, faster growing, more desirable area, and you know one has serious problems, you, you've, you have got to consider those sorts of things.
2: All right, Scott, thanks for calling in this morning. One other thing to keep in mind is uh, beneficiaries. If you have someone listed as a beneficiary and there's a divorce, you might want to make sure that that uh, is updated as well. Let's move on next. We're going to go to Madison. Dan is on the line. Dan, it's your turn. Go ahead.
0: Uh, good morning. My question is about Medicare premiums and how they're calculated. Um, an example would be if you are uh, on Medicare and still working, you have one premium. If you retire and you have less income, How do you go about getting that premium lowered?
1: Well, there's a two-year look back on Medicare, and they're just going to find the income from two years ago. And so that means if your income gets lowered, you're just going to have to wait it out. Now, you could try calling them and see if there's some option and if you can say, I- I'm declaring I'm going to have lower income. But that's typical for them just to you know, take, take the income from two years previous mm-hmm. and apply that when they calculate whether you get the basic Medicare premium or if you have to pay an additional amount because there are income limits depending on if you're single or joint, um, that that will add to your Part B and your Part D.
3: And and I'm looking at our producer here to get her to remind us to ask our uh, favorite friend of the show. Well, I'm not going to say favorite, but uh, dear, dear, dear friend of the show, Sean Mercer, when he's on the air in a couple of weeks, uh, because I believe that's something he's mentioned. Maybe it's uh, I don't know if it's all cases or if it's they, they maybe do some hardship cases where you can say two years ago, I did have unusually high income this year. I have unusually low income. Can I get the lower premium? I believe he's addressed that in the past, uh, but he, it would be great to, to hear him talk about how that works.
1: Sean Mercer will be on Tuesday, September 6th, the Tuesday after Labor Day. So you can email money at org your Social Security questions, or call in Tuesday the
3: 6th. Oh, you've got everybody marking their calendars, Liz. They're really excited about that. We're I,
1: forming a fan club.
3: What, I,
2: I, I like Sean. I think he's one of our better guests because he, I don't think he has ever been stumped on a Social Security question. And just a quick story. One, when we had him on years ago, we took a break, and he actually called someone at his office to get the uh, information. So he is a great source of information on Social Security, and the phone lines always light up on that. So, again, September 6th, Sean Mercer from Social Security will be our guest on Money Talks. Dan, thanks for your call. Let's stay on the phone lines. Blake is up next. Good. Good morning, Blake. Go ahead.
0: Hey, good morning, guys. So um, I, I have a lake house that I'm selling in the state of Alabama. And it, by the time the realtors are paid and all said and done, I'm probably going to walk away with about $180,000 profit. In lieu of a 1031 exchange, I, I just think I want to pay the tax and be done with it and have the money. What is my what is my tax liability, federal and state, on a hundred eighty thousand dollar profit?
3: Um, when you say a hundred eighty thousand dollar profit, do you mean that's a hundred eighty thousand dollars above your total cost, including any any money you've put into the house?
0: Uh, yeah, yeah, that's, that's that's that is correct. So I'm, I'm three hundred five in the house. Uh, what I paid for it, and the uh, selling price is five fifteen, and then mm. you got, to, you know, the realtor fees are going to eat up mm-hmm. twenty five thousand. So it's about one hundred and seventy five, hundred and eighty thousand on a profit.
3: Yeah. So on selling a house that's taxed uh, as a capital gain, I know Nancy can speak a little bit more about some of the details there on the federal and state level.
1: Well, the first is this is not a primary residence. Um, it is no, a vacation home, right? Have you ever rented yep. it out?
0: No, never.
1: Okay, so uh, it's kind of clean here. Then that one hundred seventy-five, one hundred eighty thousand is going to be a capital gain. It is not going to be taxed at your income tax rate. It's going to be taxed at your capital gains rate, which is always going to be lower than your income tax bracket. The highest probably is around twenty percent, but it depends on everything else that is included. Um, but if you don't want to then sock it back into another piece of uh, property, you want to take your money and run basically, that's not a big deal to go ahead and pay that. Just go ahead and pay your 20% and go your way. And, of course, that will be calculated okay. when you do your taxes.
0: Okay. And so is the state of Alabama, I live, of course, I live here in Mississippi, and filed, uh my state taxes in Mississippi. Is Alabama going to want to? want a portion of this or oh that's uh, a good question
1: uh, yeah i'm not sure do you have a cpa
0: Uh, yes ma'am
1: okay check with the cpa of course you're going to have to pay mississippi tax on it and pay those capital gains taxes um not sure what will happen in alabama uh it could be that you have to do a separate filing in alabama because of that but i'm not sure
0: okay all right well thank you so much i enjoy the show
2: thank you good luck thanks blake for your question a program reminder, Tuesdays at 10, listen live to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio immediately following our show. The Biden administration forgave $3.9 billion from the student loan records last Tuesday for more than 200,000 former students who still owe a federal student loan from their time at ITT Technical Institute. One of those campuses was located in Jackson. So it is an open topic show. Um, we've got time maybe for a couple more questions. Um, here's one. I was watching a documentary on the gold rush recently. It seems like the ones who profited the most were the merchants who sold to the press prospectors. It got me to wonder, can I invest in the companies that hold seats on the New York stock exchange? Can I hold stock? In an investment company, Ryder, you said you like that question, so we'll give you first shot.
3: Yes, I do like that question. It, it, ch- there's there's the saying in a gold rush, sell sell shovels or sell picks, and and so that's what that's the reference there. So yes, you can you can buy stock in companies that have seats on the stock exchange. You can buy shares of the stock exchange itself. So uh, understanding what it. Uh, a seat on the stock exchange. There are members to the stock exchange. And these are the people who make up the stock exchange the people who can go, so to speak to the floor of the stock exchange and trade with, with each other. You have to be a member. You have to have a seat, um, And there are many different kinds of companies that will have, well, there's a few different kinds of companies that will have a seat on the stock exchange. Large banks will have them, brokerages will have them. There are, we talk about high speed traders, uh, proprietary traders, folks who just do a lot of trading themselves, uh, generally, again, institutionally. I don't know. There is a list of all the members of the New York Stock Exchange. I don't know how many there are. No, I'm not super sure there, but yes, yeah, some of the exchanges themselves are publicly traded. So uh, CBOE, ICE, CME. So CME is Chicago Mercantile. ICE is the Intercontinental Exchange. NASDAQ is publicly traded. I believe uh, Intercontinental owns several in Europe, also the New York Stock Exchange. Um, the Chicago Board of Options Exchange is the biggest options exchange group. So a lot of publicly traded exchanges. Exchanges themselves, uh, because membership in, in 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 the exchange is not it's not equity ownership of it anymore. That they're publicly traded entities, you can just go and buy it. And so, of course, these companies are profiting when trades are made. Uh, so more trading is more good for their profit. There are also companies that uh, do pretty much nothing but trading. One of the biggest publicly traded ones <laughs> is Virtu. They are a high speed trader, which is publicly traded. So again, they are just sitting around making markets, they are buying and selling stocks all day, making sure that market is liquid, making sure that people can come to the market and buy and sell pretty much at any time. And then, of course, a lot of the big banks, uh, Goldman Sachs, Bank of America, Morgan Stanley, uh, a big brokerage. Uh, Charles Schwab is a large brokerage you, you can buy. So, yes, there are all sorts of companies in the finance realm that participate in trading, profit from trading, et cetera, that you can invest in yourself. Nancy, anything to add?
1: Well, um, you know, one of the questions was, can I hold stock in an investment company? So beyond the seats on the exchange, the trading, you can buy into Berkshire Hathaway. That's what the business is of that company, is to invest in other companies, Apollo, Blackstone. So there are these companies out there that are investment-type companies, and you can own a share of them.
2: This is Money Talks on MPB Think Radio, wrap up the show, talking about uh, something that uh, Ryder and I started to chat about during the break, and that is meme stock. So first of all, Ryder, remind us what a meme
3: stock is. Okay, so a meme stock is just a stock which has become a meme. And it's so like any other meme, kind of a widely shared joke, uh, an inside joke that people share online uh it come maybe comes from some community and starts getting shared more widely a meme stock is just one that people are just really excited about for maybe no real reason there's there's often some reason people think uh to be excited about it but it really what it causes is masses of people buying into this stock in kind of a disorganized sort of way, which generally means a sharp rise in the price of this stock. So uh, popular ones in the pandemic, you'll remember we've talked about GameStop. We talked about Hertz. That was briefly a meme stock, actually, while they were going bankrupt. That was one of the weirdest stories. Uh, AMC is a meme stock, and there is a lot going on with that company. They One of the things is it, with the price of the stock rises so, so, so much. And so the company, if it sells, if it issues more stock, again, people are buying the stock. People want the stock. The company can sell more stock. The company gets money from selling that stock. AMC sold so much stock, they ran out of shares to sell. Uh, so they have recently devised a plan to sell more through a preferred stock issuing uh the latest meme stock i believe is bed bath and beyond which That's i said crazy. that right yes. because what's happening with bed bath and beyond it's like going out of business right it was it, was, it was not in good shape um but folks are buying it and there's some connection there one of the large buyers of GameStop, uh, I believe his name is Ryan Cohen. He founded Chewy, which is also a publicly traded company. Chewy sells uh, – if, if you stores. have pets and you buy stuff online for your pets, <laughs> you're probably buying it at Chewy. Um he w- bought a lot of GameStop, got on the board there. Uh, he has also been behind some of the buying of Bed, Bath & Beyond. So there's a lot of – some of this is maybe not so – some of it's maybe smells a bit nefarious, but I, I, I don't know. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and so how these memes happen, I don't – they can happen in all sorts of ways. The GameStop one was actually a guy who – he. he did the research and he said he kind of put out his his research whenever they put out news whenever they had a release he said you know this this and this and essentially his argument was it's kind of undervalued they're doing a turnaround they've got good they've got a good amount of cash it's not as dire as the rest of the market thinks and he just kept posting and he kept sharing this and eventually it just became so widely shared. It just kind of exploded in popularity. And then people saw not only were there people who were really serious about it, but they saw the price going up and they wanted to get in on the action. So that was kind of the original meme stock, at least the first one that we called a meme stock. And that's uh, similar things have happened with, with other ones.
2: But obviously, the I think if I remember correctly, the price for GameStop, GameStop stock went up, but eventually it crash back down.
3: Yes, but it's still a lot more valuable than it was before all of this. So, it has still been on the whole beneficial for GameStop. I believe they were able to raise some money. I don't think they were too aggressive about raising money. Um AMC was actually very aggressive about raising money. Was able to pay they had some very uh high interest debt. They had s- some it was was really kind of hobbling the company, and I believe they used some of the money they raised from equity to, to pay off bondholders and to make sure they're still paying their interest because, of course, throughout the pandemic, they, they had just drastically lower revenues, drastically low lots of losses, and so it was good they were able to use that money to stay afloat.
2: You know, we shared a number of uh, emails this morning. If you have a financial question that you'd like some assistance with, and it's not Tuesday morning between 9 and 10, send an email to money at mpbonline.org. Money Talks is a production of MPB Think Radio, funded in part by generous financial support from listeners. To hear today's show or a previous show, you can visit moneytalks.mpbonline.org or listen to the podcast by searching for Money Talks on your favorite podcasting app. Our show is produced each week by Liz Gill and our call screener today was Charles Arnold. For Dr. Nancy Lotcher anderson and Ryder Taff, I'm Kevin Farrell. Join us every Tuesday at 9 for Money Talks, for and only on MPB Think Radio. Thanks for listening to this MPB Think Radio podcast. MPB depends on support from listeners, so if you can... Please contribute today at
3: mpbonline.org.